My name is Josh, as has been said. I'm um, one of the members here at King's. Uh, I would recommend membership, as has been said. There you go, quick plug. Um, we're carrying on our series tonight, uh, What Would Jesus Say About Blank? Um, and I'm going to be speaking about What Would Jesus Say About the Old Testament? Um, but before I get started on that, let me tell you a story about what happened to me a few months ago. Um, early this year, I went to a friend's stag do in Bristol. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, Pretty standard stag do. Uh, kicked off the night in a casino, uh, embarrassed the stag, played some pool, uh, had some drinks. Uh, and then four of us guys headed back to our hotel room about two in the morning. Uh, there's two double beds. We're not that rich. Uh, and uh, just as I'm lying down to sleep, uh, one of the guys who's in the bed next to me, literally next to me, uh, turns to his bedside cabinet. He takes out the Gideon Bible. He opens it and he announces to the room, Time for questions in Deuteronomy with Josh. <laughs> and so uh, we end up in this really strange situation at a stag do of all places, uh, where I can't believe I'm answering questions about the Old Testament at two in the morning. Uh, the, the best man can't believe it's managed to turn into this. And everyone is just a bit bemused uh, as to why we're talking about ancient Israelite practices. Um, if we're honest, none of us, including me, uh, really expected the Old Testament to come up in that situation. Um, and for some of us, that's probably true tonight as well. Um, how many evenings do you spend talking about the Old Testament? Uh, particularly if you're not a Christian here tonight, uh, we just want to welcome you and say, we are very glad that you're here to explore that with us. Um, and just so you know that you're in good company, um, I want to be up front straight away and say the reason we're talking about this is because generally we all struggle with the Old Testament. Um, I don't feel any uh, obligation not to say that. Um, I'll be honest, my friend opened up to Deuteronomy because that is harder for me to explain Jesus from than, say, Matthew's Gospel. I'd much rather he had gone to somewhere I was more comfortable with. Uh, and some of that is just natural. Uh, some of that is because of the Old Testament has some cultural differences. Some of that is because of the way it is written. And some of that is just because the content is really tough. And so I want to be honest and open about that. And so that is the reason we're going to be talking about the Old Testament tonight. Um, and so I kind of want to ask the question, what would Jesus have said at the stag do? Um, what would he have said um, in my situation? Um, if, the, if the question had been uh, questions in the Old Testament with Jesus, what would he have said? Uh, and in order to start investigating this, I want to take us to uh, Jesus' first uh, public sermon. Uh, and he started preaching in the first century, and his first sermon in his hometown of Nazareth, uh, he described himself and defined his ministry with these words in the book of Isaiah, which will be on the screen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Um, any PR or marketing guru can tell you that how you introduce yourself to a crowd uh, is important because of their first impression. Um, let me give you an example from when I was a teenager. Uh, I'm 13 years old. I'm at a camping trip uh, for school, uh, and there's a volleyball game going on. And uh, I think this is the perfect opportunity to make myself known. And so uh, the, as uh, the ball gets lofted high in the air, perfect for a smash, uh, I come running. And I'm shouting, don't worry, team, I'm on my way. And as I do, uh, in the fading evening light, I run headfirst into the net, uh, clotheslining myself across the face and falling to the ground uh, to much laughter. Um, today, if someone were to introduce themselves in public, 
by quoting the Old Testament, it would probably be an equally disastrous introduction. Um, imagine if a politician included the Old Testament, uh, some quotation in their manifesto. Uh, our culture would take them aside and say, look, everyone knows the Old Testament is irrelevant, that it contains uh, violence, oppression, instructions that challenge our society today. You really should distance yourself from that. If you want to be relevant, don't associate yourself with something quite so irrelevant. And yet, Jesus doesn't just quote the Old Testament. He builds his entire identity on it. This speech that Jesus gives, in, from uh, quoting from Isaiah, his manifesto, if you like, of what he's come to do, uh, is a quotation from the Old Testament. And in it, he says that he has come to fulfill all that God has planned throughout history. All of God's commands, all of God's judgments, all of God's mercy. Uh, Jesus does not see any inconsistency between his message and the Old Testament. In fact, quite the opposite. He did not ditch the Old Testament and start again from scratch. He builds his teaching, his identity, and ultimately his whole life, ministry, death and resurrection on all that God spoke throughout the Old Testament. You see, uh, there's this common view in our culture sometimes which seems to creep into Christian thinking as well, uh, that Jesus would want to distance himself from the Old Testament. Uh, that back then, uh, in the Old Testament, God wanted to punish and bring vengeance on those who had done wrong, but that Jesus is all about forgiveness. Um, as if somehow God has had a midlife crisis and instead of buying a fast sports car, just decided to cheer up a bit. Um, <laughs> The problem with that perspective is that it doesn't add up. Look at the rest of the passage that Jesus quotes, again on the screen. It finishes, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus doesn't cut the quotation short because he doesn't like what comes after. Jesus is finishing here for effect. He's speaking to a crowd who know that Old Testament. It's like me saying, knock, knock. And you say, right, you know how it finishes. Or um, I was also thinking about choosing a song that I could sing, and you, but I just decided that was not going to work. <laughs> um, this is exactly what Jesus is doing, though. They know exactly where he's going. He's saying, you know how this ends. And this is true of me. Yes, the good news. Yes, the liberty. Which means this bit about vengeance is true, too. I've come to fulfill all of this. And we find this sort of thing all over the Bible. Uh, in the Old Testament, just like in the New, God is consistently described as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And yet equally, in the New, as well as the Old, God is passionate about justice and is not afraid to punish evil. He has a moral standard and he holds people to it. He wouldn't be much of a God if he didn't. Read Revelation for me and then tell me that Jesus is just about forgiveness and not also about justice about seeing things come to a just end, it doesn't make sense. And so whatever we may think of the Old Testament as we're here tonight, Jesus says it is not irrelevant to us. He says that if we hunger for God's justice, we must also embrace the idea of his vengeance. If we thirst for freedom and forgiveness with God, we must also hope for his judgment, because they are bound together. You can't have one without the other. And ultimately, that's because they are bound together in Jesus. Jesus took the vengeance of God upon himself on the cross so that we can receive grace. Jesus satisfied the justice of God in his death so that we could receive mercy. They all meet in Jesus. Jesus does not treat the scriptures like a pick and mix. 
He doesn't just choose his favourites. He embraces and completes all of them. If we want to follow Jesus, then we must also love the scriptures as he loved them in every aspect. We cannot distance ourselves from the Old Testament because Jesus didn't. If that's the case, then, why does Jesus think that the Old Testament is relevant and important for us today? Well, it all comes down ultimately to what he says is the central, the core message of the Old Testament. So let me ask that question. What does Jesus say the Old Testament is all about? Um, one of my favourite books is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, novels at least. Um, I don't read many, but this is one of them. Um, and there's this pretty famous scene in this book where they build this supercomputer called Deep Thought um, in order to answer the biggest of life's questions. Uh, and the question is posed to Deep Thought, um, what is the meaning of life, the universe, and everything? And ultimately, after waiting a very long time, the answer is given 42 at which point Deep Thought's creators have to admit they didn't really know exactly what question they were asking. Our biggest questions in life and death are a bit like that. We roughly know what we're looking for. Something to do with purpose. Um, Something to do with love and relationships, maybe. Something to do with happiness and meaning. Somewhere in all of that, there is a question, a big question about life, the universe, and everything, if you like. And the Old Testament, in a nutshell is effectively the history of people searching for the answer and failing to find it in themselves. It's about God gradually revealing himself to a people searching for hope, meaning, and freedom. And they make many mistakes along the way, and they sometimes have moments of great wisdom as well, but ultimately it's a history of people searching for something. It's really the history of humanity. They're searching for something they're not capable of finding themselves. And Jesus speaks into that gap and he says, that thing you are searching for, the answer to everything that God has gradually been revealing, that's me. And so in Luke's gospel, after Jesus has risen from the dead, we read that he appears to two disciples walking along a road. And it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, When Jesus preaches the Old Testament, when he uh, sits in that room in the stag do, when he unpacks those vast questions and confusions and experiences and failures, he says that ultimately all of them are about him. They find their answer in him. And again in Matthew's Gospel, again on the screen, Jesus is speaking about the Old Testament and he tells them, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. He explained to them uh, what was, oh sorry, uh, but to come to fulfill them. Not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, what he's saying is the searching is over. The time of seeing glimpses and shadows of God is over. The time of questioning is finished because he has come to finish it all. And so as we read the New Testament, we see how Jesus lived this out. In his life, he teaches us how to read the Old Testament as it was meant to be read. He shows us that it uh, is him who undoes the rebellion of Adam and Eve. It is him that fulfills all that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses, you name it. It is Jesus who fulfills the law of God perfectly. And he is the one who suffered on a cross so that people like us, who have always failed to live as we should, can receive forgiveness and peace and confidence with God because Jesus was punished in our place. He has fulfilled that. In his death, he has paid the price for all of our brokenness and evil that is so clear throughout the Old Testament as you read it, and also in human history and also in our lives. He took our place so that we could come to God without fear of judgment. 
And because he rose again, we can be confident that everything he said is true. Because when God the Father raised him from the dead, he rubber stamped what he said. This is true. This is authentic testimony. The answer to life, the universe, and everything is Jesus. And you might say, well, that's easy to say in general, Josh. But if we focus down on any particular part of the Old Testament, any particular story, it may be pretty difficult to see how Jesus is the answer to that. Yeah, I agree. That's true. And so I want to spend some time focusing in on exactly that issue. I want to look at a time where Jesus was grilled about his interpretation of the Old Testament and see how he responds. And so imagine the scene. This is, happens in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus is preaching that he is the promised Messiah. Uh, he is God's son. He is equal with God himself. Um, and that people need to believe in him. And because of that, people are trying to put him to death, which is a fairly serious critique. Um, and so as part of Jesus' response, he says this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I want to pick up on two things that Jesus is saying from this. Firstly, Jesus says he is the answer regardless of what we see. Um, Let me explain that by taking you through um, one of my big issues with the Old Testament uh, that I had since I was a kid. I was reading the Bible as a kid and I come across this story in 2 Samuel 6 about a man named Uzzah who helped bring the ark, um, the box, not the boat, um, into Jerusalem after a great victory. And if you don't know much about the ark, basically it contains, it contained the law uh, that Moses had received from God and uh, it was meant to be the presence of God with his people. It's a time of great celebration and dancing and suddenly the horse and cart that the ark is being carried on hits like a bit in the road and jolts and the ark begins to fall off and Uzzah reaches out his hand to steady the ark and he's instantly struck down by God. My first impression of that story as a child was not good. Um, God, you seem to have killed a guy in cold blood um, who was trying to protect something holy. I'm searching to see how you can be a compassionate God in the midst of such a difficult and brutal story. And over the years, my understanding has gradually changed. I've read how Yuzo was not the innocent guy I thought he was. That as a Levite, as one of uh, God's people who was meant to understand the presence of God and the significance of that, um, he'd been specifically told never to carry the ark on a cart, but on poles. In fact, Levites were never given horses and carts specifically for that reason, um, that they would never do that. Um, And he certainly shouldn't have been riding, being the one to volunteer. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be the one to completely disobey God at multiple levels and be the one to drive this thing. He's not innocent there. He's actually pretty guilty. He made a ton of bad decisions um, and treated God casually and not seriously. And it turns out that the God I thought was being pretty rash had actually been incredibly patient, letting Yuzah do a ton of things she shouldn't have done before uh, he punished him. And ultimately, as I'm beginning to understand this more and more, I now see that because Jesus has died to bring us near to God's presence, the fullness of God's presence, I can approach his presence without any fear at all. Even though I've failed many times, even though I have chosen to treat God's presence casually and not seriously, Jesus was struck down instead of me. Somehow, that fulfills that. That doesn't mean I find that story easy now. 
Um, for some of you, I imagine I've just introduced another difficulty with the Old Testament that you had no idea about before, and now you're going to go and look at 2 Samuel 6. But I hope you get the point I'm trying to make. Um, let me make it another way. Um, I'm terrible at maths. I promise this has a point. Um, one of the reasons I don't like maths is because I have zero patience for a subject that has literal right and wrong answers, and yet I have to show my working. <laughs> like, if I get it right, just assume that I knew what I was doing. Um, So my teachers just insist, you know, I I must see you're working, otherwise I won't give you the marks. Here's my problem. I treat maths like that. I get frustrated with my teachers, but when it comes to the Old Testament, I actually do the same. I I say, God, I see that you said that Jesus is the answer to all this, and I don't necessarily doubt that's wrong, but I'm not prepared to sign off on this until I see you're working. Because I don't know how you've turned that into this. The problem, of course, with that logic is they reached a point fairly early where I realised that maths was not my strong point, that I didn't understand everything, and many subjects as well. Yet, for many of us, we assume that shouldn't be the case of our questions when it comes to God and the Old Testament. We assume that if the working looks wrong, then it's God that's made the miscalculation. What if it's me? What if when I look at the Bible and see unprovoked murder... God sees decades of abuse and in deserved justice? What if when I look and I'm tempted to see inequality, God looks and sees a people learning to live out gradually equality? What if when I look and see a bloody, costly, sacrificial system that I don't understand, God looks and is reminded of just how bloody and just how costly is the death of his son for me? In the case of the religious leaders who grilled Jesus, they refused to believe Jesus was the answer they were looking for. But Jesus is still the answer, regardless of how much they see. That's what he says. And that is both an encouragement and a challenge to us. An encouragement, because when I, as a Christian, approach the Old Testament, I can live with the fact that I don't understand all God's workings. Because I have the final answer already. I know it's about Jesus, ultimately, even if I can't see that. And so when I read passages like User and the Ark, I can be confident that somehow God has worked this in such a way that Jesus solves this problem for me. And it's also a challenge, because Jesus says that ultimately his identity does not depend on my opinion. Jesus gets to decide who Jesus is. I know, radical. If you look at the Old Testament and you have a perspective on it that disagrees with Jesus' perspective, he says you're wrong because you've missed him, and he's the answer. And this is where Jesus makes his second point. Secondly, Jesus doesn't criticise their searching He criticises their attitude. It's their refusal to come to Jesus, not their quest for answers that Jesus takes an issue with. He's very happy that they're searching the scriptures. It's a really key distinction. It would be crazy, considering everything we've already spoken about about Jesus, that he would say, actually, I don't really want you to search for answers. I don't want you to search the scriptures. That would be crazy, considering his perspective on the Old Testament. To think that Jesus does not want people to read about him. What he takes issue with, then, is not the searching... Not the searching for questions they're trying to answer, but that they use the questions to hold up barriers to God. Jesus is basically calling people out. He's saying, you think you're sorted already. You think you know what you're talking about, and so the questions you're throwing out, they're not genuine questions. They're just a smokescreen that you're hiding behind so you don't have to come to me and find life. If you really wanted answers, you'd come to me, you'd believe, and you'd work through your doubts. And so Jesus isn't criticising rational thought. 
He's criticizing irrational questioning. An attitude that refuses to even consider the possibility that Jesus might be who you're looking for deep down. And that refuses to come to him for answers and work those through with him. Searching for answers is good. Genuine questioning for truth is good. But Jesus has said that he's the answer. If you're genuinely searching for answers, Jesus says start with him. Because only he can lead you to life. And so if you're exploring Jesus, if you're in that process of asking questions, hear what Jesus is saying. Having genuine questions and confusions is fine. But to hold those questions up as deliberate barriers to God and pretend like that's being open-minded, Jesus is calling that sort of behavior out. Your questions are not designed to be barriers held up to God. They're designed to be bridges that lead you to faith in Jesus. They're designed to be ways of you understanding him more and seeing who he says he is and coming to understand and, and consider that. So Jesus says it is possible to take those questions, to blow them out of all proportion, and to turn them into barriers and not bridges. So then, if that's what he opposes, how does Jesus want us to respond then to the Old Testament? Well, he wants us to come to him. That's the simple answer. He wants us to find hope in the answer to all of our questions, all of what has been displayed throughout human history in the fulfillment of everything that God has spoken. Because after all our searching, God has revealed Jesus as the answer to our questions. Through his death for us, we can have confidence to approach a God we can never fully understand, but with confidence that he is the answer we're looking for. So what does that mean for us today? Well, I want to suggest two ways I think we might need to respond. Firstly, number one, recommit ourselves to submitting to the scriptures. Recommit ourselves to submitting to the scriptures. Um, I've chosen the word submit very carefully um, because the point I'm trying to make is this. When you and the Bible confront each other, when you and the Old Testament confront each other, who wins? Who is the first to take a knee and show honour? Who is the first to admit their fault? If we follow Jesus, if we're going to live the life that he lived and, and try and follow in his way, we have to take his approach. We have to say, I submit. And that may be incredibly difficult at times. We may not know how that works. But I want to encourage you tonight to put yourself under God's word again. Because Jesus guarantees the more you read the Old Testament, the better you will know him and see him through it. We were singing and praying for breakthrough earlier. One of the ways that happens, guys, if, if you want breakthrough in your spiritual life, one of the best things you can do is let God break you through his word. Jesus says in John 10, 35, uh, this, that the scripture cannot be broken. If that's the case, then really, it's not me that gets to critique the Bible and poke holes in it. It's the Bible that gets to critique me. I'm not saying we can't have questions still if we follow Jesus and that we shouldn't wrestle with those. But as Christians, our posture is one of submission to Jesus and the word that he has spoken. And so for some of us, that might mean recommitting to approach the Old Testament with humility. Or to follow through on dealing with some of the issues that we know it calls out in our lives. Um, Andrew Wilson has written this uh, fantastic summary, which I've uh, stolen a lot from tonight, called a book called Unbreakable. Um, and he says this in it. 
If the scriptures are the unbreakable word of God, as Jesus seems to have thought they were, then a different approach is needed. Maybe it's my interpretation or my assumptions that need challenging. Maybe there is something I just don't know. Maybe the answer is in there and I just need to look a bit harder. Maybe I'm the one who is broken rather than the Bible. Guys, I want to ask you, when you and the Bible collide, who breaks first? I pray that it is you. Second way we may want to respond. Don't let your questions hold you back from Jesus. For some of us, maybe we've been wrestling with some questions for a while. It could be stuff in the Old Testament or the Bible generally. It could be things about God's character or numerous other questions. And I just want to encourage you, remember what Jesus says. It's not the questions that keep you from him. It's your attitude. Don't allow yourself to uh, think that you have to have everything sorted before you come to Jesus to find life. Don't let your questions stop you from approaching him and receiving the life that he holds out to you. You see, Jesus has told us where all of this leads. What its true meaning is. And, and so we are free from having to know all the answers. And that can be liberating, actually. You don't have to know understand or even agree with everything in this book before you come to Jesus. You see, sometimes people think they have to have the whole thing mapped out before they come to him. That's not true. If that were true, none of us would be here. We don't know all the answers. You simply have to know enough to trust Jesus that he can do a better job of running your life than you can. The the rest is just a process. God is not asking us to lay down the mind he's given us. He's not asking us to pretend uh, that we understand his workings of salvation. But he is asking us to trust him that Jesus is the answer to the big question. This is not blind faith, by the way. Blind faith shuts its eyes to the questions and pretends they aren't there. True faith says, I see so many questions. I have so many things that I don't understand about not just the Old Testament, but relationship with God in generally. But because I see Jesus and I see him as a value that far outweighs all the other doubts, I know I have the answer I'm looking for. Even if I don't understand all the details yet. So as I finish, let me ask the question again. What would Jesus say about the Old Testament? How would he respond at the stag do. He'd say, it's not just relevant for your life. It is absolutely essential that you read the Old Testament because it leads you to the answer to all of your questions. It leads you to him. And he wants you to follow him, to position yourself under his teaching and to find life in him. 